Hey everybody, you're listening to the Clearer Thinking Podcast from Grace Valley Church in Dundas. I'm your host, Paul Vandenbrink, the lead pastor of Grace Valley Church. Thanks for listening. All right, guys, we are looking again at John chapter 13, where Jesus washes the disciples' feet. Now, I promised on Sunday that I was going to try to explain a little bit more the relationship between the foot washing that Jesus said the disciples needed and the bath that he said uh, made them completely clean. What's the relationship between those two things? So let's try to figure this out together. Now, just to recap, Jesus gets up from the table and he begins washing his disciples' feet. And presumably, he washes all of them. He doesn't skip anyone. And when he gets to Peter, there's this exchange. Listen to John 13, verses 6 through 10. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. Okay, so here's what's going on in this exchange. When Jesus says, those who have a bath need only to wash their feet, their whole body is clean, he's talking about salvation. He's telling Peter that the disciples are saved. They are, they are born again. They have believed in Jesus. They have eternal life. They have passed from death to life. They have become sons of light, that is, children of God. They are his sheep, and no one can pluck them out of his hand. They will not and cannot be lost, and that includes Peter. And we know this because he makes a distinction between Peter and the other disciples and Judas. He says, and you are clean, though not every one of you. The, the one he's talking about there, of course, is Judas. Judas is not a believer. He has not put his trust in Jesus. He is not born again, and therefore, he is not completely clean. Okay, so far, so good. But then, what does the washing mean? (laughs) Why does Jesus tell Peter, unless I wash you, you have no part with me, or you have no share with me? Why would he say that? What does that have to do with, I mean, here's what I think this means. When a person believes in Jesus, he is completely cleansed. He is clean before God. And that is something that never changes. That's something that never gets taken away. But the washing of feet, because it happens over and over and over again, it represents our daily confession of sin and turning to Jesus for ongoing application of what he accomplished at the cross. At the cross, he accomplished our cleansing and forgiveness. And in the washing, in daily uh, confession of sin and repentance of sin and turning to Jesus, that work is applied to us again and again and again and again. You know, during the time of confession on Sunday, 
we reflected on the words of 1 John 1, verses 8 and 9, where it says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's a a picture of Peter's mistake. What Peter failed to realize was that even though he was completely clean, as it says in verse 10, that is, even though he was justified and new in Christ, there were sins that needed daily confession and forgiveness, daily spiritual foot washings, you could say. So the once-for-all purchase of his forgiveness needed daily application in his life. See, as Jesus and Peter discussed washing of feet, it's interesting. This is for all you, uh, you people who really want to go deep into the original language and stuff. It's kind of neat. They used the Greek word, uh, root word, nipto, when they were talking about washing. But when Jesus referred to having a bath, he used the word luo. <laughs> now, the, the difference between these two terms is almost exactly the same as the difference between the English words wash and bathe. So, Nipto implies a spot-cleaning action, while luo implies an all-over deep clean. And, you know, it's also noteworthy uh, that Jesus used a form of luo that was past tense, while nipto, referring to washing, is used as a continuing action. So the one who is bathed is completely clean despite needing to have their feet washed kind of routinely over and over again. Being rebathed is unnecessary, by, but, but being rewashed is necessary. Okay, but that leaves uh, one question still open, right? Why does Jesus say, unless I wash you, you have no part with me? I mean, if you are saved, if you're born again, that means you are united to Jesus. And Jesus told Peter that he was saved. He said, you are clean. You don't need another bath. So what does he mean by saying that Peter has no part or no share in Jesus if he refuses to let Jesus wash his feet? Well, remember, washing represents daily confession and forgiveness. It's the application of salvation to our lives. And if we keep on saying that we don't need that, or that we don't want that, then we show that we have not been saved, that we have not been completely cleansed. See, the mark of completely clean disciples is that they hate their daily shortcomings and they come to Christ for daily cleansing, for daily forgiveness. What I'm trying to say is this, um, true believers in Jesus Christ are quick to repent. They're quick to say sorry. They're quick to admit their sins. Their lives are characterized by continual repentance and forgiveness. Martin Luther, when he wrote the 95 Theses way back in 1517, you know what the very first statement was of those 95 Theses? It was this, and I quote, When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, Repent, he willed that the entire life of believers be one of repentance. 
end quote. Christians give evidence that they are Christians by repenting, by admitting their failures, the way uh, the ways through thought, word, or deed that they have disobeyed God or fallen short of his will for them. And they don't just do it with God, they do it with one another too. They own their stuff with others. They seek forgiveness, they seek restoration, they seek reconciliation. Now, that isn't always easy. It's not always easy to admit that you screwed up, right? It takes humility it takes honesty. So let me finish with this motivation for cultivating a heart for repentance and forgiveness. Think, think about the object lesson that Jesus gives one more time. It's this washing of feet. When you have incredibly dirty feet, you know, think about walking barefoot through the mud, for example. Maybe that happened when you were a kid. Um, or maybe when you're at the campground or the beach and you have dirt or sand stuck between your toes, it's very, very irritating, right? What is the most wonderful feelings in the world? Isn't it washing that stuff off and feeling how clean those feet are? Makes you feel good, right? Well, the same is the case when we repent. If you truly repent in a gospel-centered way, meaning gospel-centered way, you repent because you know that Jesus has paid for all your sins. You're not turning your repentance into a work. You're not using it as a way to try to earn favor with God or with others. When you repent that way, then repentance is empowering. It is freeing. It is joy-inducing. I remember years ago, someone came to me and they wanted to repent of some sin in their life. They were Christian. They loved Jesus. They had been bathed. But they needed to be washed. Now, it had nothing to do with me. They didn't sin against me. In fact, it had to do with stuff long ago in their past that they had been carrying around for many years. It was, it was kind of a secret, kind of a burden that they had lived with for a long time. But James 5 verse 16 says... Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. And so there's something about confessing sin to another person, even if that person is not the one you sinned against, and then praying with them that has healing power. And so they came to me and they confessed their sin and they were specific and they were comprehensive. So they, they were honest about actual sins and they didn't leave anything out. Now, what was absolutely startling to me was how when they began their confession, their head was bowed, their hair covered their face, their shoulders were slumped forward. They just looked so defeated. But as they began to confess, and I promise you, this is exactly what happened, slowly they began to sit up straighter and show their face. And, and even as they were weeping and confessing until finally they were finished confessing their sin, and I had the privilege of declaring them forgiven in the name of Jesus Christ. And guys, the transformation on their face was astonishing. 
it, it was like watching a flower open up. Their eyes seemed to sparkle with joy. Their smile was mesmerizing. It was like they were literally a different person from whom they were when they stepped through my doorway. You know, the power of repentance is so underestimated, I think. Paul says it best in, in 2 Corinthians 7. He says, quote, I am happy because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. End quote. No regrets, friends. Doesn't that sound awesome? It does to me. Well, that's it for this week, friends. A fitting podcast, I think, for this Lenten season. Hope you have a wonderful week, and we'll see you next time on the Clear Thinking Podcast. Bye for now.